open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20. And this uh, will be the final message in our Gospel of Matthew series. And uh, church, I hope you've loved it as much as I have. I was thinking about just the way that we have just been able to go through and dig through the Gospel of Matthew together over this last season in the life of our church, um, it reminds me of one of my favorite photographs. There's a photograph of space by the Hubble telescope called the Hubble Deep Field. And if you haven't seen it, you got to see it. It's just an unbelievable picture. Basically what they did is they took Hubble and they just shot Hubble out into the direction, one direction into space and pointed it just at darkness. And just took a long picture, a very long picture. And what they got in return wasn't darkness, but that in the deep recesses of space, There isn't just one galaxy, but there are literally hundreds of galaxies captured. Different colors, different shapes and sizes. The Hubble Deep Field reminds us that if we point in one direction and take a shot out into space, and that's just one direction, not talking about the entire panorama of the 360 dimension of space, there are hundreds of galaxies consisting of hundreds of millions of stars each. And brothers and sisters, we've got a God who knows the name of every one of those stars. Galaxies we have never seen deep in the far recesses of the universe. God is governing over. He measures the heavens with a span, the distance from his thumb to his forefinger. God is awesome. When I think of going through Matthew and taking our time like we have, I've had this image of the Hubble deep field throughout the entire series because there are galaxies of truth in just a small snapshot of Scripture. Now I want us to think of our Bibles that way. Passages of Scripture that we read and we think, oh man, I've I've read this so many times. God invites us to to look again and look long. And what you're going to find are that there are galaxies deep beneath other galaxies. If you will let your meditation on the Word of God stay fixed long enough, which is such a challenge in our day where we want to get truth in snippets, but to go verse by verse through all the pages of Scripture and like the Hubble telescope, just take a picture. You can get through one verse of Scripture galaxies worth of truth into your own soul that will strike you with a beauty and simplicity that will literally be life-transforming. And I love as one of your pastors, just going through slowly a gospel and allowing the truth of God's Word as we linger over it and move through it slowly to just break over us with beauties that had never been seen before. That's the Hubble Deep Field. What's so awesome is we're moving on from Matthew this week. Literally, we could do this, we're not going to do this, we could do this, we could go back at the beginning of Matthew, start again, and it would just be one other direction outshot, and we would get hundreds of more galaxies. It's the same truth, but would shine with with a splendor that is unique every time we go through it, because the Word of God's living and active, and... God, the Holy Spirit, moves to apply the Word into our hearts and all the many different 
circumstances that each and every one of us are going through. That's why as we're looking at the Word of God, we're all going through different circumstances, and yet the Holy Spirit can pinpoint and just apply the Word into our hearts, each of us individually, specifically, as if God's just talking to just us in a room full of people. This is how awesome the Word of God is. This is how awesome the Holy Spirit is to do such a work. And so I have just so loved going through the Gospel of Matthew together with you. So looking forward to it at the turn of the year, going through a series, just loving all of God's Word, where we'll start through Genesis and kind of move systematically through from Genesis to Revelation and enjoy God, Old Testament, and New I'm just excited about God's Word and the way the Lord's going to feed us and minister to us over this next season, church. And hasn't God been awesome as He's revealed Himself to us in the Gospel of Matthew? Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Let's read and shoot the telescope into the direction of these four verses. And enjoy what the Lord impresses upon our heart and the galaxy of truth He wants to show us of the hundreds of galaxies available. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is going to be sort of a summary message of our series. And let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts as we conclude our series on the Gospel of Matthew. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Pastor John Owen, back in the 1600s, wrote 600 pages on Psalm 130, verse 4, and still didn't get to the bottom of it. Lord, Your Word is inexhaustible. Your Word is glorious. And yet Your Word is, is clear and simple and makes wise the simple. Lord, Your Word is so clear that a, a three-year-old can apprehend and understand the truths of the Gospel. And yet, the Gospel is so deep that no longer, no long, as long as we would ever shoot a picture out into the universe of Your glorious truth, Lord, we could never get to the bottom of the galaxies and the stars and the brilliance of Your glorious truth. Indeed, throughout all of eternity, we're going to marvel at how glorious and how awesome You are, God, and we're never going to get to the bottom of You. You are so awesome and so big and so great. How great is our God. Lord, touch our hearts today as we hear Your truth. Transform us. Help us not to be simply hearers of it, but doers of it also. And impress upon our heart. Leave an impression upon us from this series that endures throughout the rest of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you, church. We learned at the beginning of this series that Matthew was a Jewish man called by Jesus out from being a tax collector For the Roman Empire, in Matthew 9, verse 9, we read about this. In Matthew 9, verse 9, God's Word talks about this event. As Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and He said to him, follow me. And those are the words of our series. And He rose and followed Him. There's this immediate sense that for Matthew... He rose up and followed Jesus. His was a life of wealth. And also that of being hated by the Jewish people for collecting taxes for the Roman Empire from amongst His own people. And there's a reason amongst the the worst of sinners listed in the New Testament, the phrase that Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. It's sort of like saying the lowest of the low. 
And yet Jesus chooses as his disciple one of those that society deems the lowest of the low. And he did the same with yours truly as well. Great sinner that I am, I'm so thankful that he saved me by his grace and called me to follow him. And you feel the same, church. But upon being called, Matthew immediately rose and followed Jesus. And in this way, he provides an example for all of us to follow. The word says in Matthew 9, verse 9, and he rose and followed him. You see this action of getting up and immediately following Jesus. And we see the beginning of Matthew's followership of Jesus, his following Jesus as Jesus' disciple. But how did it end for Matthew here on earth? Well, Matthew, according to some sources in church history, the the former tax collector heard the Great Commission here in Matthew 28 live from the resurrected Christ. Most likely gathered around 500 other eyewitnesses and he's there worshiping Jesus as Tom mentioned in worship that they worshiped him in verse 17. But he listened and he heard this commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations and Matthew recorded it here in the gospel for all of us. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this has been captured for us. But he also obeyed and followed it as well. According to some church historians, they believe that Matthew went south down through Egypt and ultimately ended up in Ethiopia. So, so much of the New Testament with the Apostle Paul and others, it, it talks about essentially just the, the chronicle of the way the gospel went north and west. What's awesome about the story of Matthew is he goes south and west. And it's, it's exciting to think about that by the year 200, there were churches church plants that had been established all the way throughout the Mediterranean coast, not just in the north, but also in North Africa as well. It all began when he immediately rose and followed Jesus, but Matthew suffered for obeying this call. He was most likely martyred in Ethiopia. We think that he may have gotten there, perhaps, maybe from hearing the report of Philip the Evangelist, who preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, remember that? And baptized him after he was providentially reading Isaiah 53, as Philip comes up upon his chariot and he shares the gospel, and he says, what keeps me from being baptized as he believes, and he repents of his sins, believes, and then the Ethiopian eunuch takes the gospel south, and then a number, perhaps years later, Matthew follows and brings the gospel down there. He was supposedly stabbed in the back by a swordsman sent by the king of Ethiopia after Matthew criticized the king's morals. He was standing up for the truth as he was cut down for Jesus. So these last words of the gospel that he penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were not just words. He, they were backed up by a life committed to making disciples of all nations himself. And it's important for us to know that one church historian called Matthew an ardent disciple. He was an ardent disciple himself and he was committed to making disciples of Jesus in Egypt and then further south in Ethiopia. And to this day, the ancient roots of Christianity planted by the Ethiopian eunuch who first went went down and then also Matthew continue to grow in a beautiful nation that was once without truth but now has many Christians. In fact, a man named Michael Granger, a graduate of our sister church in Sovereign Grace, 
he went to the pastor's college. He'll be planning a church in Addis Ababa, the capital city of Ethiopia, in the not-too-distant future. Indeed, when my wife Shannon and I were in Addis Ababa back in 2008, when we adopted our dear son Blair, we were able, as a church, to support another glorious church plant there as well that's still in existence to this day. And the last I hear, that church was winning many souls and making many disciples of Jesus, even at this very hour. And so the work goes on, brothers and sisters. And the mustard seed effect of the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth. And we get to be a part of it here in the Reading area and also to the world as we send out our church plant to Croatia and as we Pray about other endeavors as well. It just goes on and on and on. The glorious advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But in Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples that the church is going to pass through tribulations or distress between the time period of his ascension and return. The gospel will be preached to all nations, but this will happen through the fires of tribulation. We looked at that when we looked at the Olivet Discourse a number of months back. And Matthew's life bore out that truth. Matthew was here at the resurrection, and he was an eyewitness to it, and he also worshipped the Lord at this mountain. But then he, he also witnessed the ascension of Christ on the Mount of Olives, most likely 10 to 15 days after this scene that we're looking at here when Jesus was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses up near Galilee. At Pentecost, Matthew waited with the others in the upper room for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. And when He came, the Holy Spirit, Matthew experienced and witnessed the joy of 3,000 Sinners repenting of their sins and being baptized on the day of Pentecost. What an exciting thing. He saw the gospel advancing powerfully. But brothers and sisters, he didn't just stay in Jerusalem, but he remembered Jesus' words to go and make disciples of all nations. And Matthew, after some time, went out and followed Jesus' great commission. And he left behind the tax-collecting, lucrative business that perhaps he could have picked up again. He left it behind for good, and he never returned. In going out, he obeyed Jesus' words. And he didn't want to walk to the beat of the drum of this present world, but rather obey all the words that Jesus commanded him. He trusted that Jesus was with him even to the very end of the age. Follow me. That's been the title of this Matthew series all along. And there's a reason for that. Matthew was most likely the most educated of the disciples. He also was the one with the most money. And yet, He laid down his money. He used his education. We have this gospel here by the Holy Spirit and also through an educated man who took time to write down and chronicle the life of Jesus Christ so that we might benefit from the Word of God here this morning. But it came at a great cost for the disciple Matthew. True disciples follow Jesus no matter what. True disciples follow Jesus no matter what. Even through all the ups and downs of our lives in this fallen world, true disciples follow Jesus no matter what. How did it go from here? From Matthew 28, from the Great Commission, and and where did it proceed out from here? We talked about all the way up until the days of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 through 4. But actually in Acts 1, when Jesus ascended, it's, it's an amazing scene. The angels at the ascension, they didn't want the disciples to simply stand around and look up in the sky. They told him that, they, they told them that 
Jesus was going to return and there's this sort of pressing forward into following Jesus even after he ascended. They, they, They arise and they go and they wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them in power. The angel's essentially reminding them there's a job to be done. Go. And when you read Acts 1 through 4, you see this powerful display of God's power. Saving lost sinners, establishing his church right there in Jerusalem in the midst of the nation that just recently crucified the Lord Jesus. But we see the unstoppable advance of the gospel. And it seems when you read Acts 2 through 4, like the gospel is never going to hit a snag and the church is never going to experience opposition. It's just going to go on this upward ascension all the way until Jesus comes back. Following Jesus in Acts 2 through 4 can be easy because times were easier. In Acts 4, the number goes from 3,000 disciples to 5,000. <laughs> and at the end of the, this glorious display in Acts 4, you're thinking, man, I want to be a part of this. You get all excited. You see sort of this church in its ideal state just preaching the gospel and the gospel spreading and oh, their glorious first days of the early church. Following Jesus when times are easy is easier. But we must also, brothers and sisters, commit to being His disciple and making disciples when times are really tough. We must be Christians who don't just love Acts 2 through 4, but who also love the entire book of Acts. Because Acts chapter 5 through 28 are filled with stories of the name of Christ advancing through times of tribulation and suffering with much darkness all around it. But there can sort of be a temptation to kind of endlessly pine for the ideal days of Acts 2 through 4 without embracing the real costly Christianity that's often spelled out in Acts 5 through 28. We can sometimes want to make a Christianity of our own making and follow Christ to the beat of our drum rather than to embrace a biblical Christianity and to follow Jesus as He prescribes in His Word. I know I can look and read Acts 2 through 4 and say, you know what, I mean, I wish it was like Acts 2 through 4 all the time. But God ordains for his gospel to advance and disciples to be made in all nations in the midst of much tribulation and distress, as Jesus promised in Matthew 24. And Christ Community Church, I want us to sign up for being true followers of Christ in all seasons. So that our devotion to him and to his people would never diminish but only grow. In all seasons. And man, does it get tough. You turn the page from Acts 4 into Acts 5, and immediately what you bump into is Ananias and Sapphira. You've got revival breaking out in the church. Thousands of people getting saved. And you're thinking, man, keep it coming, Lord. But in God's providence, Acts 5's there. There's Ananias and Sapphira. Lying to the Holy Spirit and the Lord. Acts. And if anyone was tempted to think that following Christ and being committed to His church was was always going to be filled with happy, happy all the time, that would have woken everybody up. In fact, it did. In Acts 5, verse 11, the Word of God says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And when the good vibes of following Jesus are exchanged by great fear in following Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, we must still follow Jesus. Not all fear is a bad fear. There's a reverence and an awe because our God is a consuming fire that is good and the Lord wants us to walk in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, but also in the fear of the Lord. As we see in Acts chapter 5, it's good to be reminded not only of God's power to save, but also of His holiness. 
In Acts chapter 2, they're all eating together with glad and generous hearts. You can almost look and just think of sort of the McDonald's motto. I'm loving it. But in Acts 6, complaints arise in the church. What seems to be sort of a ripple-free pond of bliss and tranquility and unity all of a sudden has turmoil mixed in because there was a complaint that widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. However, the leaders and the congregation act together to help take care of it. And every church, even the early church, had its challenges. And as we look at Matthew 28 and we see this great commission to go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. There's implied in this that there's the church is ever being reformed according to the Word of God as it's being taught the Word of God. And the church moves from infancy and immaturity into maturity and greater and greater purity as time goes on. And we see that even in Acts chapter 6 when the leaders and the congregation act together to help take care of uh, the challenge that's faced in Acts chapter 6. Every church, even the early church, had its challenges and wasn't a fellowship of sinless bliss. That's not going to happen until we get to heaven, brothers and sisters. And thank God we're going to get there. Those of us who have repented of our sins and believed in Him. One of the things we learn there is when there is a need to be patient with the church and the people in it, we must still follow Jesus. And there are going to be times where we need to be patient with the church and the people in it. And yet not become disillusioned with church and back off and say, you know what, I'm not going to follow Jesus as hard as I used to follow Him because things are just hitting a snag here in Acts 6. And you know what? I want Acts 2. No, brothers and sisters, there's Acts 2 and we rejoice. And there's Acts 6 and we're still faithful and we still follow. And that's what you see the early church doing. There was a commitment to continue to follow the Lord. And they were made of a devotion that we need to really recapture in our day. Because if we will, we'll see God move in power Not only in the thousands of sinners saved in Acts 2, but also watching the church mature, watching the church develop, and to be able to rejoice as problems like the widow's daily distribution of food are taken care of. That didn't happen right away. There was a process that went into place where that was eventually taken care of. So following Jesus means staying committed to Him and His people, even when it's not easy or pleasant. We've got to take stock here and recognize that our generation is one where commitments are not easily made, but very easily broken. As soon as we feel that we've been let down in some way, we're done. I'm not talking about us. I'm just talking about our generation. Our generation, this is a weakness that kind of can characterize our generation. We don't have patience for suffering and patience for difficulty. It's hard to be able to rejoice as problems like the widow's daily distribution of food are coming about within the life of the church. But following Jesus means being faithful and committed to His church in all of her highs and all of her lows. And there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. Following Jesus means that we are not fair-weather Christians. Nor are we fair-weather churchmen or churchwomen. We are devoted, and we're devoted in all seasons. (laughs) We can say, okay, I can see that in Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6, but as long as the low doesn't stay there for a real long time, CB, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with that. Certainly God would never want suffering to happen in the lives of His church for real long. That can't be God's will, could it? Uh, brothers and sisters, as we looked at at our men's breakfast last week as the men, the crown, the crown comes later. For now, we carry the cross. And the cross implies a daily dying to self in thousands of different ways in order that Christ might be glorious, gloriously displayed in our lives. 
In Acts 6, Stephen, who was one of the individuals in the church who was faithful and filled with the Holy Spirit, was actually chosen to serve the Lord, to help take care of the challenge of the widow's daily distribution of food. He's just serving, he's just being a servant in the church. There's so many brothers and sisters like this, just serving faithfully in the church. And you you sort of start to think like, oh, wow, look at this guy serving the Lord. And he's serving tables so that the apostles can devote themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Surely, if there's a life that's just going to be blessed because he's just kind of serving the Lord in obscurity, doing everything he can to be a blessing to the church, this guy's life is going to be followed by much happiness and blessing for him, right? Well, by the end of Acts 6, Stephen is seized. And by the end of 7, he's martyred for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, our following of Jesus should be of the same spirit. We should lay our lives down in service to God's people in His church and not demand from God that He pay us back with a good life here on earth. I think we've got to watch that as we're serving the Lord, that we don't kind of make a, a slowly evolve our hearts into, you know what, Lord, I'm serving you. You should be bringing something back to me. Stephen serves the Lord faithfully when there's not persecution. And he also serves the Lord faithfully all the way unto death. He loved not his life unto death. But we can be tempted to want the good life as the world defines it. And have Jesus. But you know what, brothers and sisters? This is the good life. Following Jesus and his word. But it's not the way that this world would define the good life. Stephen had his eyes on being faithful and it, it blessed the church. And it was a blessing to the lost as well as he preached the gospel in Acts 7 and 8 in relation to the suffering of God's people down through time and ultimately the gospel where Jesus comes and dies on the cross for sinners and he appeals for them to repent and believe to these lost sinners and instead of repenting and believing like in Acts 2, He doesn't get the response that Peter got on Acts 2. He gets stoned to death. And in the mystery of God's providence, why Peter's sermon gets a response of 3,000 saved and baptized, and why Stephen preaches the same gospel and is killed for Christ, it's a mystery, brothers and sisters. But we must sign up in our hearts with this great commission and say, Lord, you're with me always, even to the end of the age. And I don't know how it's going to go. Maybe in a life faithfully lived out for you and for your glory within the church, times are pretty good. But maybe not. And Lord, I want to tell you right now, I am yours no matter what. Because true disciples follow Jesus no matter what. Is that me? Is that you? Oh church, may this be the case with us. Stephen's life ended on this earth. And it's not the way the world would define the good life. But you know what? As he was dying, he saw Jesus standing on his feet where it's written in Scripture that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When Stephen is being martyred, Jesus is up to receive him. Being faithful to follow the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. Brothers and sisters, that is the good life. That is the good life. So as you're looking at your life right now and seeing so many perplexing dynamics that just don't make sense to you, remember that as you faithfully continue to follow Jesus in the good times but also in the hard times, God is being glorified and God has you exactly where He has you. For Stephen, the good life was a life lived in faithful followership of Jesus, no matter what. And I want to ask all of us, church, is that how we define the good life? Faithful followership of Jesus, no matter what. That's the good life for me. 
brothers and sisters. You look and it looks like an unhappy ending and you just think, Lord, what in the world? Stephen was just getting going in his ministry and he was cut down. And God, how can that be good for the church? We just don't know what God's doing. You see, the blood of the martyrs in this case was in fact the seed of the church. As Stephen dies and there's a man standing there collecting the cloaks, giving approval to his death named Saul. He's standing there as the one in authority giving approval to his death before he ended up being saved. And in Acts 8, he wasn't done after Stephen. It says he was ravaging the church. That was not an easy thing for the faithful. For the faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we need to reckon with the fact that the time could come again, even in our generation, where even in our wonderful country, persecution could break out upon the true church for obeying all that Jesus commands us. God's word calls us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it's not just about getting people saved. It's about getting them saved and then teaching them, verse 20, to observe all that I have commanded you. And we are called to observe. We are called to obey all that Jesus commanded us. And not just the easy sayings, but also the hard truths as well. Hard truths that this world has long passed sentence over and said, no. Some of you have paid a cost in standing with Jesus and His teachings, even to the point of where it's hurt you. And you have our love and our respect and our prayers. And we're so aware of how you are pleasing God with your life. But the times could be coming, brothers and sisters, where the true church pays a steeper cost for obeying all that Jesus commands us. We are going to increasingly be out of step with this present world and the immorality that it approves of and demands that everyone accept to say that certain lifestyles are sinful and need to be repented of, over time could bring civil punishment with it, even to some of us. And we must be ready to stand upon the Word of God and the words of Jesus Christ with conviction and not be moved. Not in a spirit of self-righteousness, Christ community, but in a spirit of love and compassion. Remembering that if we even surrender our bodies to the flames, like in 1 Corinthians 13, but we have not love, we gain nothing. So let us stand firm for the truth and not be moved, but let us stand brokenhearted as we look out at this world and we look out on our country and we see just the slide away further and further from God. Let us not stand over that situation self-righteously as if somehow it is an amazing grace that we're here today. We have been forgiven of all of our sins. Our eyes have been opened to the truth. And there's one reason that our eyes have been opened and the world's eyes have not been opened. And that is because of the amazing grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in causing us to be born again. So if you see things and you see truth and you have more wisdom than the world, let it fuel your compassion and your pity. And let us be willing to sacrifice everything For the teaching of Jesus without ever relinquishing our love. Because Jesus never relinquished His love even as He was being spit upon and mocked on His way to the cross. So greatly did He love you, church, that He laid down His life for you and went through it all. said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you see Stephen as well. He's being stoned to death. And he's asking God... With like his last request, Lord, hold not these sins against them. Brothers and sisters, may we stand for truth in that same spirit in this church. May we be disciples in the likes of Stephen and following the teachings of Christ. To love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And never allow our enemies to cause us to stoop so low as to hate. Or to be sinfully judging No, brothers and sisters, may we keep our soft and tender hearts remembering that God has amazingly saved us from our sins and let us look out 
on this lost world with eyes of pity and compassion. Let's go. And let's go and tell them about Jesus, our Savior, and how he will forgive them like he's forgiven us sinners if they will just turn from their sins and believe in him. Oh, brothers and sisters, might we be willing to lay our lives down if it came to that for the teachings of Jesus. Romans 12 exhorts us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to have the Word of God washing over our minds continually because we are getting flooded continually with temptations from the world to compromise, to back off of the truth. And this is where real conviction is needed. A willingness to go against the current and to walk against the current of this world for the good of this world. But walking against the current can be exhausting. And some of you may perhaps even be feeling exhausted. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus, brothers and sisters. And let us keep putting one foot in front of the other. Following Him, not just during the easy times, but also in the hard times in our culture as well. If we surrender our body to the flames, but we have not love, I gain nothing. That was from the Sermon on the Mount that we went through together. When we suffer oppression, when we suffer evils from other people, even sometimes from professing Christians, when we suffer injustices and great pain, let us love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That is following in Jesus' footsteps. I never have the allowance from God's Word to act in any other way. And so when Stephen spoke to those who were stoning him, it was a prayer that brought glory and honor to God. Christ's community in these days, as we speak, as we post, as we think, let us please Christ in our speaking. Let us please Christ in our posting and in our thoughts. Let us Love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And as we think and as we speak. I remember saying this a number of weeks back. Let us not be concerned most about speaking our mind. But dear church, let us be burdened to always speak the mind of Christ. Let our conversation always be full of grace. Seasoned with salt. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to the Lord. And edifying to all who listen. And all who read. Building people up. And doing them good. Through the ups and downs of the gospel. Going through times of prosperity and relative peace throughout church history and other times through much martyrdom and blood, persecution and death, the gospel still advances. I love how even in Acts chapter 8 where it talks about Paul's ravaging the church. I love that even within Acts chapter 8 as Saul is ravaging the church, the next header right below that says, oh yeah, and uh, Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria. It's happening at the same time. And that's always how it is with God's people. We keep preaching Christ. Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And you know what? The very early church, it was so wonderful and such a blessing. And there was such a time of conversion and discipleship and relative peace compared to what was to come that they weren't very quick to move north to Samaria and south to Ethiopia. But you know what drove them out? Hardship, persecution, suffering, loss. In God's providence, God sent His people to the nations even as they were suffering. And when they were refugees traveling north and south and east and west, guess what they took with them? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria. Samaria hears it. 
And so the gospel began to spread slowly but surely throughout the whole entire Roman Empire, like leaven spreading through an entire lump. The gospel goes forth all the way to the ends of the earth, and he does that through us. And we must, re- we must remember, Christ community, that the God who sovereignly ordains the Saul who persecutes also is the God who sovereignly knocks him off his horse and saves him. And turns him from a man who once made Christians suffer into a man who follows Jesus even when he says, even when Jesus says, I'm going to show this man how much he must suffer for my name. And he did. Paul gets to the point where he goes from ravaging the church to willingly following Jesus with tender love for the church, even when the entire church abandoned him. And he was in 2 Timothy saying to Timothy, no one came to my defense. Even in the church of Rome, the church he once tried to destroy Saul never forgot that Jesus had forgiven him of his part in the stoning of Stephen and all of his other sins as well. And he was transformed into a man who gave even his own life in the end in followership of Jesus. Church, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. His glorious gospel advances through the lives of us, His church, in times of great trouble and tribulation, and it brings Him much glory. The rest of Acts also is just a story of many ups and downs, imprisonments, hardships, sufferings, and many highs and lows, but it shows God being faithful to advance His glorious cause through those who are following Jesus no matter what. Oh, if I can have the worship and return. And return quietly in church. Let's focus in as we sing praise to the Lord. Listen carefully as I close. Church, it's my job as your pastor to prepare you and to disciple you for living the Christian life and following Jesus in this troubled and fallen world in these last days. That's why we did this series of Matthew. And in the culture we live in, we can often expect things to just go great. We want life to be happy. But Matthew chapter 24 says, due to the increase of wickedness leading up to the very last days, the love of many is going to grow cold. And we're going to see That happened in the life of the church as well, even as Paul saw it, and as the early church saw it. Following Jesus isn't going to be easy. It never has been. And we must embrace following Him no matter what. And to say, Lord, no matter what, I'm yours. And to have that kind of heart. We must commit ourselves to obey all that the Lord Jesus has commanded us. Even the commands that hurt and go against everything that we're feeling. We say, no, Lord, I'm going to obey your word even when it hurts. And we must look to our Jesus, dear Christ community, and follow in his footsteps. The one who laid down his life in order that we might have life. What an honor. What a joy it is to offer up our lives in spirit and in truth and to worship Him and follow Him no matter what. Let us all stand and sing to Him and express this intention of our hearts to Him today. And then I'll close this in prayer at the end. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for sinners so that anyone here who repents of their sins and trusts in Jesus might be forgiven and have eternal life when they turn to you. Lord, if anybody is here who hasn't, I pray they would. While there's still time, before you return and they'll never have another chance to do so, I pray that they would repent and trust in you now. But Lord, for us, your church, Lord, I pray we would, like Matthew the Apostle, 
your true disciple. Help us, Lord, to follow you no matter what. In all seasons, in all times, in our lives and in the life of the church. Lord, help us to get up from our tax collecting stand and leave goods and kindred go for the advance of your gospel. And Lord, help us as we're standing at the foot of the cross seeing you suffer to continue to follow you. And as we stand at the feet of the resurrected Christ, triumphant, risen over the grave to worship you even then. And then Lord, as you depart and you ascend, there's Matthew waiting on the Holy Spirit to fill him with power. He sees the days of the early church and the 3,000 souls saved turned to 5,000 disciples made. And He follows you there as well. But then He goes south because He obeys your great commission to make disciples of all nations. And He goes through Egypt and Ethiopia and ultimately is even killed for you no matter what, and in every season, easy and hard. Lord, would You please pour out Your Spirit upon us, Your church, to be true disciples of You in the spirit of Matthew, Your son, and Stephen, Your son, and the Apostle Paul, Your son, and the many sons and daughters in the book of Acts who were examples and are examples, as Tom mentioned, in the cloud of witnesses watching us live out our lives in this generation. Almighty God, help us to be faithful in our generation the way they were faithful in theirs. Help us, Lord God, to stand for Your truth and to do so with love that we might see the lost one to Jesus Christ and the glory of God go forth as the kingdom advances. Almighty God, do that in us, Your church, we pray. And thank you so much for this series on Matthew and how you've built us up. Strengthen us and seal up, Lord, what you've done in us in this series in our hearts. And as we go up from here, oh, Holy Spirit, empower us to continue to follow you with boldness and passion, following you in all seasons. 24-7-365 in easy times, in hard times. No matter what, we're yours, Jesus. We're yours. And we love you. Can we just whisper a prayer of thanks to him, brothers and sisters, for how good he has been to us in saving our souls. Amen. Isn't he good? Isn't he good and so wonderful? How great is our God. Amen. How great is our God. Have a great day, church, and enjoy this wonderful salvation that is ours in Christ. God bless you.